This episode is sponsored by Macmillan Audio. So many great books to read, so little time. One thing that helps is downloading audiobooks so you can squeeze in a chapter while you commute or cook dinner. Start listening to the audiobook named Best of 2022 by Audible, Apple, and more, Olga Dies Dreaming by Sochil Gonzalez. It's the story of a status-driven wedding planner grappling with her absent mother, her glittering career amongst New York's elite, and her Puerto Rican roots in the wake of Hurricane Maria. The audiobook is read by three fantastic voices, Almarie Guerra, Inez del Castillo, Armando Riesco, each narrating a different perspective in standout performances. Start listening to Olga Dies Dreaming by Sochil Gonzalez now, wherever audiobooks are sold. Hello and welcome to A Bookish Home. I'm your host, librarian and writer, Laura Zaro-Bukinski, and today one of my favorite authors, Amy Popel, is back on the podcast to discuss The Sweet Spot, a big-hearted, delightful novel about three women who form an accidental sorority in Greenwich Village when a baby lands on their collective doorstep. The Washington Post calls The Sweet Spot smart, sparkling, and very, very funny. Don't let it slip past you unread, which is great advice. I just adored this book. I kept telling people as I was reading that I wanted to live inside these pages with these characters and then was very sad when it was over. So I highly, highly recommend it. Amy Popel, thanks for being here and congratulations on the sweet spot. Well, thank you so much for having me, Laura. And I'm just thrilled to get a chance to talk to you. It was such a treat to read and um, I'm excited to get to kind of dive into these characters and the world of the sweet spot. Can you tell listeners a little bit more um, about the book? Well, um, I live in Greenwich Village and I really wanted to write a book that took, you know, that takes place in my very strange and very wonderful and gritty and fabulous neighborhood. Um, And just because of the nature of Greenwich Village, I decided to write a book about three women who don't know each other at the beginning of the book and who quickly develop every reason to hate each other for sort of accidental reasons. um, And then who end up sort of forming a bond in part over this baby that sort of lands on their metaphorical doorstep and their they sort of have to team together to take care of this little child. Um, And it was just fun to write a book about three women of very different ages and seeing them sort of um, each come, you know, overcoming their own um, issues and finding things that they really like about each other and just finding forgiveness and um, it was just a joy to write. I have to say, I really, I had a very good time writing book. It's funny you say that. I had, One of my questions was going to be, I had it written down, the book brought me so much joy as I was reading. And I was oh. curious um, if it was that same experience as a writer. And, and you know, as you were writing, I, you know, because for me, I felt just so immersed in this place. And it really felt, I know it's New York, but it also, I think because we're so kind of like contained to this one little pocket. It really did feel almost like a small town story too with these yes. characters. I just, yeah, I just kind of wondered kind of as you were writing and getting to know these characters, was this sort of like a like happy place for you to keep going back and like imagining yourself cut in as yes. you were writing? Definitely. I, I really sort of fell into it. I mean, I say that it was a joy to write and it absolutely was. That does not in any way, I don't want to imply in any way that it was not, it didn't involve just a massive amount of rewriting because to get these, to get humor right and to get 
these women the way I wanted them. It I I rewrote and rewrote and rewrote. And of course, that's not always joyful. <laughs> the throwing out, you know, tens yep. of thousands of words is not always my favorite thing to do. Um, but the story and the women, I I really did have a marvelous time writing about them. And I do think you're right. I think that Greenwich Village, I mean, without being corny, but I think it is sort of the sweet spot of New York City because it's bustling, it's busy, it's loud, but there is sort of a village feel to it. And you do run into the same characters. Sometimes you don't even know them, but I'll see the same people over and over again in my neighborhood, which maybe in most places that's not unusual, but in a city the size of New York with as many inhabitants as New York has, it is cool. It's so fun to feel like you're really in a small neighborhood in some ways. Um, so yes, I, I really fell into this world and we can talk, I don't know if we can talk about process later, but um, because of the fact that I'm what I refer to as being a binge writer, um, I really did lose myself in this brownstone, in this neighborhood, and in the world of these women. Oh, I want to hear about being a binge writer. I have to hear about that. Have you talked to binge writers before? I don't know how many binge writers there are out there. <laughs> I don't know. I think I have to hear more about it. I mean, would you say that that's different than being a pantser? Or is it just like a fast-paced pantser? I'm very intrigued. I'm a combination pantser binger. And I guess what I mean by that is when I'm really in the heat of writing, when I'm really, really trying to pull the story together and figure out who these people are, where exactly is it that they live? What kinds of interactions are they going to have with each other? Um, I can't do anything else. Like I'm just not somebody who can sort of put, okay, I'm just going to work for five hours today or I'm just going to you know, work for four or six hours or whatever. And then I'm going to carry on with the rest of my life. Um, I would love to be that kind of writer. I just don't seem to do it that way. I, when I'm in that mode, I just, that's sort of all I do. And everything else in my life kind of falls by the wayside. I, I, just can't, I don't even, you know, I don't make it to the grocery store. I don't see, I just, my husband will leave for work. It's eight in the morning. I'm in my pajamas, I'm working and he'll come home and it's seven o'clock at night and I have barely moved. Um, it's just for me, it's the best way to kind of stay with the people and with the characters and to not lose track. I mean, you mentioned the Washington post review and it was so funny when I read that. Cause I think of my, I, felt the whole time I was writing this book, like I was spinning plates. Um, I was trying to keep so many different storylines up in the air. And the way the reviewer put it in the Washington Post was she said it was like a, oh gosh, I'm not sure if I'm going to come up with the exact words, but something like an ambitious air traffic controller. <laughs> that was a <laughs> way of thinking of it. Um, she said an ambitious air traffic controller who manages to get all the airplanes safely back to the hangar at the end. Um, and I, I really appreciated that because that is what it felt like when I was writing this book. It felt like I was that's just trying so to keep. Yeah, yeah. It was, it, but well, but that's fun too. You know, losing yourself in your story is very fun. Yeah, and I would imagine I could see then now that you've explained it that way, the binge writing would be the way to kind of keep keep all of these storylines in your head, and otherwise. Yeah, I could see this being a book where you've got like a whole wall of like the different characters and their interactions. And and I want to talk in particular, I, I mean, I loved each of these women and they each have so many quirks and their problems feel so real. 
And so I'm wondering kind of as you're binge writing, and I know you sort of took a lot of rewriting, are you sort of slowly getting to know each of them? Like for Lauren, for instance, did you already have an idea of her and what she would be like in your head or even like a mishmash of, of people you've actually known or did it take a while and like chapter by chapter, like you'd get to know her better? It's more the latter. So chapter by chapter, I get to figure out, I start to figure out who these people are. And that's where the rewriting comes in um, because so much of, of my focus is on the dialogue and I'll figure something out about a character and then I'll realize two chapters ago, they would never have said that. They would never have reacted that way. So the better I get to know them, the more I need to go back and make adjustments to the way I have them responding to certain situations. And that's really, really satisfying in a lot of ways because you get to know them so well that it's it's so fun to suddenly realize, no, 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 she wouldn't say that. She would say this instead, or she wouldn't react that mm. way. She would have this response. Um, but I, I, what I'd like to do is, you know, moving forward, I'm going to try just, you know, I'm always learning. I didn't publish my first book until I turned 50. So I'm, I'm really always learning. I'm always talking to writers, always trying to tweak the way I do things. Um, I'm going to see if, if there are, I'm going to try some techniques that I've heard about to try to get to know my characters a bit better at the outset um, mm. so that I can avoid some of the more painful throwing out entire chapters um, if I can. It's possible because we all have our own ways of doing things and it's possible that this is just my way <laughs> and, that I, and that I just have to embrace <laughs> the fact that I have to write the wrong words in order to figure out what the right ones are. Um, but there are some cool things I've heard authors talk about, um, you know, questionnaires that you fill out for your characters where you sort of have to answer a lot of very key questions in advance. Um, writing monologues from the perspective of your characters. I think that is the one that's a little bit more appealing to me. But I think even when you do those things, I, for me anyway, I just have to remain very flexible and open-minded because change happens. You know, you suddenly realize that narratively this other choice would be better. And when you make a change, you have to make the change all the way through the book. You know, it's not just, oh, let's change this one sentence. That's when you have to go back and make the changes um, consistent all the way through. So just paying it's a lot. Of <laughs> yes, can be, it um, really can be. And that's where you were talking about like the bulletin board of sort of like things on the wall. Cause you realize if you make this change, there's like 12 other places where a little adjustment has to get made and you've got to keep track of all of those. I think yeah. it's a great brain exercise actually. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like doing um, a puzzle. Well, as you're kind of like balancing all these different characters, um, is there a particular one that you kind of enjoyed writing the most? And I was thinking about, um, I, I also loved Melinda. I just thought she was, her perspective was so funny and like um, her interactions when she's like working at the school and everything. I just, I, I thought she was great. And so was there a particular one that you were really like, oh, it's my time to write about this one. I'm, I'm excited to do that. Yes. Um, I mean, I would say that's definitely true for Melinda. I, so, and I don't think this is anything that will spoil anything for your listeners, but Melinda has, she's about my age. She's about 57 years old. Um, she has been left by her husband of close to 30 years who has left her for a much younger woman. 
Um, and I loved Melinda's rage. I understood it. I felt it. I loved having her just go through the world full of anger. And I was really excited to create a storyline for her where she doesn't change. She, her personality is the same, but th- where she comes to some peace and ends up maybe even in a better place than where she started. I really wanted that for her because I like her so much. Um, I also loved my, the grandmother in the story. That's the woman who, the family that lives in the Brownstone, which is Lauren and Leo and their children. Um, Lauren's mother comes just for a few days and ends up staying a little bit longer than anyone anticipated. And her name's Evelyn. And I really enjoyed her character as well. And I, she was another character where I felt like if, if I met her on the street, I would just know, (laughs) I would just know her. Um, And I, I enjoyed her change. You know, I think every character in the book um, becomes a little more open-minded. They become a little softer. um, And they, they really do that because of the care that they end up feeling for the other characters around them. And that was very fun to write. That was very fun to sort of have these, I don't ever have my characters completely change, you know, because people don't. I mean, I think, you know, people change a bit. And Evelyn even talks about that in the book, that she thinks she's always believed that people just are who they are. And that she finds, I think I used the word slippery. She finds that personalities have become slippery um, the longer she's been in Greenwich Village. And she starts to rethink things and, and rethink people. And I sort of loved that for her. <laughs> I sort of Yeah, I love her. her. I love her yeah. whole dynamic with Philip. Um and kind of just watching them sort of spar at times, but also warm to each other. I thought, um, I thought that was great. And, you know, it got me wondering too, I sort of love kind of life in the brownstone, almost like the brownstone's almost like another character kind of having that be like a center for them. And I wondered a little bit about kind of creating that and sort of just like the whole sense of sense of place with this house, if you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think the book in a lot of ways is about finding new life in something that's not perfect and a little older, (laughs) you know? So for Evelyn, she's not perfect and she's a bit older and she really finds a new spark. She really, she makes a new friend. And I, and I think that's wonderful. I've made so many friends once I started working as an author and the friends I've made post 50 years old mean so much to me. I mean, it's, I, I just can't believe it this, that I'm meeting such wonderful people and getting to know so many different kinds of personalities. And I just appreciate it so much. The house in a lot of ways is the same. The house is not perfect. I, I, I walk around this neighborhood all the time and I see these brownstones and I'm just, I think they're so beautiful. And I love how some of them are so polished and so stately and, perfect. And then you'll walk past another that's kind of in disrepair and it has the old air conditioning units up in the windows and the paint on the door is just peeling and you can see that it's got so much character, um, but it's not perfect. It's not redone. And that's what I wanted the family to have. I wanted them to be in a brownstone, but I just didn't want to make things too perfect and easy for them. So I definitely decided to make it a very unrenovated brownstone. And I gave them absolutely hideous appliances and (laughs) ugly cabinets and 
stairs that are creaky and mice that live on the third floor. And then I added a bar in the basement because I thought what a perfect place for people to meet and for people to gather. But also that's going to be really loud and a little obnoxious at times. And um, so, yes, I, I really, and, and this binge writing thing I was talking about earlier, I really did start to feel like I knew every corner of this house um, I wanted the characters to have to live with a lot of possessions that didn't even belong to them, things that they can't throw out for various reasons. And um, so that the history of the house would sort of be in everyone's face all the time. If you love hearing about the path to publishing a book on this podcast, I highly recommend you check out the hashtag AmWriting podcast with authors KJ Delantonia, Jess Leahy, and Serena Bowen. Hashtag AmWriting is the place for fun, actionable advice for getting your work done for writers in every genre. This is my favorite writing podcast. I've been listening for years, and the hosts have really become author mentors I can easily access while I take a walk or wait for the school bus. I've gotten so many great tips on approaches to outlining, writing a first draft, revision, craft book recommendations, promotion, accountability. I can't imagine trying to achieve my goal of publishing a book without their weekly show. And their archive is a treasure trove. If there's something in your writing life you're wondering about or struggling with, they've done an episode on it. Start listening to Hashtag Am Writing Today with your favorite podcast app. And if you're interested in hearing more about co-host KJ Delantonia's latest novel, In Her Boots, which is a laugh-out-loud delight and must-read, you can go back to episode 113 of A Bookish Home. Well... You know, I'm kind of thinking you're in the promotion stage of things now. And I would imagine as you're talking sort of about your binge writing process. So do you completely then sort of say, all right, now I'm now I'm going to not write for a while. I'm just sort of in the like bringing the book out into the world mode. Yes. And a lot of percolating in the back. Like I've got I've I've already started working on the next book. Um, I've got some. I've got a lot of it sort of figured out in my head. Um, And I'm, yes, I'm just like, as I'm going through this phase and I'm doing some traveling coming up to do some work, you know, some promotion of the book. Um, But I've, I've got this new story in my head at the same time. And I'm just right now, I've put some words on the page, but mostly I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking I'm doing a house swap book and I've got two families who are going, one in Texas and one in Germany, which are both places where I've lived and they're going to swap houses. And I'm not um, getting too much into the nitty gritty right now because I'll, I'll, I'll get to that. Um, But what I'm doing instead is just thinking, why would they leave? Why would they say they're leaving? Why are they actually leaving? What are they afraid to come home to? And what are the sort of cultural differences of the two places that I hope are going to give me a lot of room for humor, misunderstanding, you know, the fact that there's going to be a language barrier. Um, So I'm doing a lot of thinking, but yes, I'm sure, especially starting like a little bit later this spring, I'll be back in my pajamas with my laptop and my (laughs) darling dog who sits beside me all the time and occasionally says to me, we need to go take a walk, (laughs) which is the best thing in the world. If you're the kind of writer like me, that every so often you got to get up and go outside. And that's, that's really healthy for me. Um, But I'm sure I'll get back to that mode and I'm excited about it. Like I'm really excited to figure out who these two families are, the secrets that they're keeping um, and just the, 
fun that they're going to have as they sort of escape their current lives and, and, and enter the lives and the homes of a different family. Um, so I'm, I'm excited I'm, I'm about ex- that. It sounds so good. <laughs> oh, I hope so. I hope, to, I hope it's going to turn out. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. Well, and I kind of like the idea of sort of there's different seasons in the process. Like there's the percolating while well, maybe you're promoting, you know, the, the previous book and then there's the like really being immersed in the writing and then the rewriting. It's just, um, I, I kind of like the sort of seasonal nature of, of the process and maybe not feeling like you have to be doing all of it all the time and like never changing. Yeah. Well, I agree. It's just fun to hear from readers too. Like what do readers respond to and sort of to think, how could I do that in this next book? You know, how could I bring that idea into the next book? Um, You know, everyone, I love writing about about many different generations of people. I like to have a big age range in my cast of characters. So I'm already thinking like, who am I going to bring in? Who's the youngest person in the book? Who's the oldest person in the book? And what's their relationship? So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. That's so interesting. And that actually was going to be one of my questions, sort of, it seems like you do a really great job connecting with your readers and, you know, like I love following you on social media. You do these <laughs> for the past couple of books. You've done these great, like funny book trailers. And I'm just wondering if there's been anything you've kind of learned along the way as you've published more books, kind of about that side of things of like interacting with readers and kind of trying to help get your book out there and also get to know the people that are loving your books. Maybe maybe geared toward like a, a someone who has their debut book coming out, maybe what would you tell them about trying to kind of connect with an audience? Yes, it's it's really the most, it's really in some ways the best part of this whole process is having, when readers reach out to me, like nothing makes me happier than getting an email from a reader. Um, and when they say that they have responded to the book for this reason or that reason, I mean, I've talked to so many readers right now who have said, you know, my husband left me. And I loved her rage. It was like cathartic for me to see how full of rage this character was. So that when I get comments like that, it's it really makes me happy and um, sad for anyone who goes through a difficult thing, obviously. But if the book can help anyone sort of process it in a way that is not um, I I like to find the humor in darkness. I for me, that's sort of my it's part of my personality is that when something bad and I I have to find the absurdity to it. And I have to find a way to somehow keep my sense of humor. It's just really important to me. Um, So yes, connecting with readers is absolutely one of the best things. When I think I've missed, like if I've missed an email, forgotten about something, I really do beat myself up for that because I, I always want to engage with readers when I can. The other thing I would say to anyone having a book come out be the most true to yourself as you possibly can. The the book trailers that you mentioned, they are so DIY. I mean, I the first one I did actually was a little more polished because we actually filmed that um, with the help of Atria and Simon and Schuster because I had this script in mind and they were wonderful about helping me sort of bring that vision that I had to life. But the next two, I did the next one during the pandemic and I couldn't do anything like that. But I got this little idea of something that I wanted to say about the book that 
isn't something that takes place in the book necessarily, but it kind of sets the tone. So I did that for musical chairs. And then I got an idea to do one for the sweet spot as well. And those are just fun for me. I, my son films them. He does the sound for me. Um, my family members act in them. <laughs> it's just, it's just so, so fun. Much fun for me. And you know, I have this, I have a background in theater. So to do something that's kind of theatrical just suits me. It just fits for me. Um, so I would just say to anyone, like figure out what you can bring to the table. Like what is something that would be fun for you? Because the promotion stuff can get, it can get exhausting. And if you're not it shouldn't be. It should be fun, or at least as much as possible, it should be fun. And I think the more you can just be yourself, unpolished, whatever, you know, just be yourself and sort of present what, what you bring to this, you know, you walk into a bookstore and there's so many wonderful books out there. And what are you, what are you bringing to the conversation about books? So that's sort of what I'm, what I, what I would recommend. Um, and it's kind of the way I've tried to go about it. Um, because I can't be who I'm not, you know, I can't, I just can't pretend to be something that I'm not. And I don't think that would serve anybody. So that, that would be my only take on it. <laughs> I think that's so great. And it's, and I think your authenticity really comes through and yeah, I could see that being just really great advice. Well, just the whole idea of like filming the trailers and your, um, you saying you had a background in theater. I did keep thinking as I was reading, like how much fun it would be to see this on the screen. And I wondered if you had in mind, like if you got to cast the movie for the sweet spot, um, does anyone come to mind for any of, of your characters? Yes. Yes. So I have talked to a few people about this and we've decided that Allison Janey would be the absolute world's best Melinda. Oh, um, she would be so good. She's so funny. And I think she would be just perfect. And I'm thinking of somebody like, um, maybe someone like someone handsome, but a little willing to make fun of themselves. I keep thinking John Hamm would be a good Russell. Um, oh, Russell's oh, were so good. Yes, Russell's her ex-husband, Melinda's ex-husband. And, you know, even as he's announcing to her that he's getting divorced, there's just a ridiculous selfishness about him that I decided to lean into and just have fun with. So that when he tells her he's leaving her and then he announces to her, and again, I don't think this is a spoiler because it comes out very, very early in the book, but he lets her know that he's finally ready at 67 years old, he's finally ready to be a father. And the absurdity of that from her perspective, you know, I really enjoyed getting into. Um, and when he says to her, you know, gosh, she's obviously full of rage when she hears this. And he says to her, gosh, you know, I, we've known each other for so long. I, I on some level, I thought you were going to be happy for me. And that's when Melinda just explodes like happy for you um but again i spoke to a couple of women who've said that's exactly the kind of thing that they heard and it just it just sort of blew my mind that what it's sort of like when i wrote small admissions which is a book about the admissions process in new york city i worked in admissions for a long time and people said um the book is is funny but you did exaggerate right and i would have to say you know a little <laughs> i may have exaggerated <laughs> for humor a little but it's not completely out of bounds like it's 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 not 
so ridiculous. It's actually pretty close to some of the things that um, that actually happen. And I think that that's the case for Russell, too. You know, do I exaggerate a bit for humor? His sort of um, his just being sort of oblivious. Yes. But it's not that it's not that exaggerated. It's actually somewhat realistic. Um, so I think John Hamm would be hilarious in in pulling that off. Like, I'm just, I picture him looking at Melinda sort of confused, like, why can't we get past this? You know, I'm so happy. Yes. <laughs> thinking about Evelyn and Philip and they, they might be too old, but I was thinking for Evelyn, the grandmother from Gilmore Girls, the one who plays Emily, I feel like would be like the proper yes. kind of like difficult mother who like, yes. I, I feel like she would be great so for funny. that. My cult- yeah, my college roommate just said the exact same thing. She's like, I think oh, she would be so perfect. funny. <laughs> and my other one, I was thinking about that. Um, I don't know if you ever saw that About Time movie, but I don't know how you say his last name. Bill Nye. It's not Bill Nye because that's the science guy. But Bill N-I-G-H-Y. I just looked him oh, up. He's, he's also yes. in Love Actually. I feel like he would be such a fun Yes. Philip. Yes, he was in Pirate Radio. He's wonderful. I, I think he would yes. be absolutely perfect. So, I mean, we've got the movie cast. I just need to make it now. So, <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, I always love to ask what authors have been enjoying in their own reading lives. Are there any books you'd want to recommend to listeners that have been, um, I know like your, your books really bring me so much joy and I love getting to read them. Are there any that you've um, really loved kind of sinking into as a reader? Oh my gosh. Yes. I have been on such a good reading streak lately. I've just, I've gotten really lucky. I just finished reading Remarkably Bright Creatures um, by Shelby Van Pelt. It is so original, so heartwarming, so satisfying. The ending is just so wonderfully satisfying. So if that's a book that I would really highly recommend, if you, I mean, there's, there's heart in it. There's some sadness in it, really some tragedy in it. Um, but there's also a, a an octopus in the book who's an actual character and he's just wonderful. And I, I so enjoyed that book. Um, another one that I really enjoyed lately is for anyone who, who listened or I loved the audio book of this, but, or read Andrew Sean Greer's book less, which won the Pulitzer and it's just brilliant and funny. And again, it's full of heart um, wonderful characters. I just really loved it. And again, the best ending in the world. Um, I just read the sequel to it called less is lost. And, you know, I, you always worry with sequels, like, is it going to be as good as the first one? And it's, I think I liked it even more than the first one. So if, if you want humor and heart, I would highly recommend starting with less and then reading less is lost. Um, and then I guess one more I would throw in there would be a book called by Rebecca Hardiman called Good Eggs. If you like that multi-generational cast, she has um, a grandmother who's a main character in the book, her son and her son's daughter. So it's three generations. Um, it's called Good Eggs. And it's each, each of those three characters makes a really big mistake. And then they each have to sort of fix it, figure out a way to come to terms with the mistake that they made and fix it. And again, really satisfying, wonderful characters that you will be sad to say goodbye to and just a really fast, fun, wonderful read. Oh, so those are just also three. wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely link to those. And, 
And you've summed it up so nicely. I have to like write down all this, like, yes, it's the humor and the heart and the multiple generations. And these are all going to be great read alikes for people that love the sweet spot too. So, well, I just really hope that um, listeners go pick up the sweet spot at their local bookstore, get in your library holds. And if you're looking for just a treat of a book, um, you're just going to be so delighted by this story. So um, highly recommend. And Amy, thank oh, you for thank coming you. on again. And I'm already oh, thank so you looking so forward to the next me. book. <laughs> oh, great. Oh, good. Well, stay tuned. It's, it's coming. Um, and I, I just really appreciate your very kind words. And I am so grateful that you had me on. For links to all of the books mentioned on this week's episode, you can visit abookishhome.com. If you are enjoying the show, I hope you take a minute to subscribe and also rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to share it on social media to help other people find the show and this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone, and happy reading.